0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Brood Life. And I am excited to have my friend Rebecca on the podcast today as we continue our conversations about deconstructing. But before we get into that conversation, I'm just gonna hand it over to her real quick to introduce herself to you.
1: It's so good to be with you, Brandon. Uh, I'm Rebecca Knight. Uh, So people in the Fort Wayne area might know me as Rebecca Green. I've been a journalist in the Fort Wayne area for about 23 years. And I'm currently the news director at the local public radio station, WBOI. And um, I think that my journalism is actually kind of directly related to how I have uh, come to orthodoxy, actually. I think that um, my calling as a professional Badger and uh, seeker of truth has been one of those things that's just kind of everywhere in my life. There's not been a place where that's not um, not a thing. So um, yeah, I went to the small Midwestern liberal arts Christian college and grew up fundamentalist Baptist and t- until the 90s. And then I became a, a typical American evangelical and then not that anymore (laughs) for a long time
0: awesome so i i
1: I live in rural nowhere now (laughs) yeah that's
0: about it i grew up in rural nowhere so i understand (laughs) uh so uh just to uh kind of give a background and as we delve further into like your your uh going into orthodoxy, what was your faith background growing up? And I know you just kind of hinted at a little bit. but
1: I grew up in a, um, in fundamentalist Baptist churches. Um, my grandfather was a general association of regular Baptist churches preacher, though um, I have made the argument that had he encountered anything else um, outside of that tradition he would have probably uh, left it. Um, I I mean obviously he encountered modern mainline denominations but um, when I became Orthodox years ago my grandmother told me that there was a Greek Orthodox man in rural Minnesota where he was a pastor who there was no Orthodox church nearby. So he worshiped at my grandfather's church. And I believe that that was in part because my grandfather understood and lived the gospel in a way um, that was supposed to be lived out, but not in a way that I ever saw it anywhere else in that environment. Um, And that's kind of a meandering way to say you can, Clean it up and edit it as you need to. But um, I grew up; uh, women didn't wear pants for the most part. I grew up King James version of the Bible only. Um, original sin, substitutionary atonement, five point Calvinism. Though none of that was articulated that formally because it was a very informal and rigid, um, very unforgiving faith. Uh, I I would use the word now. Uh, probably I would call it a cult now. Um, I mean, it's a cult that looks better than most. They have colleges and mission boards and um, things like that. But on the scale of modern Western American evangelicalism, the GARB and the ibc churches are out there no matter how they they clean that up that's they're out there in the in right field
2: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) Way, way out there but we didn't we we didn't speak in tongues we didn't uh it was not um there was, it was emotionless, emotionless Christianity. There was nothing soft or warm or um, n- none of that anywhere, ever.
0: So, gr- growing up in that environment and uh that, I don't know, I mean, strictness, how did that impact you into your, like, teenage years and adulthood?
1: Well, um, I probably can't talk about this journey into orthodoxy without talking about the more personal aspects of, of growing up in that environment. Um, That environment is a very hard place to be a kid. Especially mm-hmm. if you have a parent, which I did, who was um, abusive. And so that that theology, that practice, those people gave a lot of uh, cover for that, made that normal, made that acceptable. Um, you know, even though <clears throat> it was probably, more than what even they would tolerate, it was still condoned, right? So the image of God in that environment is an incredibly masculine, toxic, masculine, patriarchal God, um, You know, which is funny to use the word patriarch in that context. Because in my current context, patriarch is a very um, evocative and um, has a different meaning. In a, in a very classic sense, but in in that in the GARB in that fundamentalism environment, um, God was angry. God made choices about who would live in eternity with Him before you drew a breath, before you were conceived. Which you know, if you're a logical person, if you're predestined to heaven and someone else is predestined to hell, right? So, right. so that. So it, in a way that how that would impact. So I, I grew up in this world where um, it everything was hard, right? Like everything, finding comfort in faith was difficult, but there wasn't any option, right? Like it was that or hell. So there was no so you just you know you make the best of it. I made the most of it. So I I studied. I outlined all the sermons. I highlighted everything in my Bible. I wrote in all the margins. I went to all the Sunday schools. I played in all the you know studied marijuana and <clears throat> went to Christian Christian grade school. I was homeschooled for a year. I was in a fundamentalist school, um, and then I did a couple of years in a public school. But for the most part, my entire existence was fundamentalist Baptist culture. and that God who had this idea that we were predestined for heaven or predestined for hell, that we were guilty for sins we'd never committed. Um, you know And so when I went to when I went to Taylor University, in 1991, after graduating from a Baptist high school, that was an act of rebellion in a way. Like there was a lot of people in my church environment that were not happy that that I was going there because you know I didn't have to go to chapel every day, I didn't have to wear a dress every day, I didn't have a curfew. We could go to movies, you know, these awful things, <laughs> right? Like I had a pastor come up to me one night after like youth group and he was like I'll pray for you that you're going to Taylor and I was like I think I'll be fine
2: thanks
1: (laughs) and so Taylor was like a halfway point right like a kind of halfway house I think for my um my journey because it was so um and, and Taylor of the 1980s and 90s was a lot different Taylor Upland was a lot different at that time than I think it is now. Right. I think in a lot of ways, I I think in a lot of ways, the, the fundamentalism and the right wing view of God has infiltrated the evangelical church in a, in a way that it, it wasn't back then. And, and it could have been just naivete. It could have been that, you know, coming from a place where I, I was told no every minute that being told yes every now and then was a little bit, you know, I, I just felt so free. Right. So like, okay, I I don't know. I could be completely crazy. Um, but you know, I remember I had, there were Catholic students on my, on my floor. Um, I had the, the more diversity of thought and, uh, culture, um, it seemed a little bit more don't ask, don't tell to LGBTQ uh, members of the community, um, which isn't necessarily to say it was affirming because I don't believe that it was, but it wasn't, um, it seemed that there were people that existed in a way that they're not existing there now. But um, when I took historic Christian belief at Taylor Upland, it was taught by a gentleman who was ordained within the reformed presbyterian tradition and so it was a very calvinistic view of god same i mean it was fine it was i was accustomed to hearing that but that was the view of god and and i still i don't know It just it just didn't it felt like if this was the God that we were being presented, it was very difficult for me to, to gin up a reason why I was going to stay here long term in my head, in my heart. But I, but I was really making an effort, right? Like it was like lots of, lots of trying, lots of trying to make that feel comfortable and feel like home. And due to some circumstances, I had dropped out of school midway through my junior year and was out of school for about four years. And during that time, I think that's probably when my kind of my deconstruction began, though that's not a word we used in 1995. Um, But I I began working in jobs outside of the church. I began working in journalism uh, as, a, as a freelancer. I was substitute teaching in the public schools. I was uh, working at a boys and girls club. And so I was encountering all of these people with all of these different stories and these different experiences and these different needs. And at the same time, um, my parents were in the middle of getting a divorce. So all of this, and you know, in the, the fundamentalist churches, that is not something they handle well, any of that. And so there was just this like, seismic earth shift where i no longer found that environment tenable Mm -hmm. Um, but there wasn't any option right like at taylor upland there was no there was never any discussion in historic christian belief for the most part of what happened between 33 a.d and Luther's theses. Right. And, and, to, and I remember asking questions and always having this kind of snag on the rug of my faith, like where there, Christ says to St. Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So except for 1,050 years or so, in which case it will be, not a church, right? Like until Luther wakes up one day with his theses. So the questions that, so I I was starting to see some social things and uh, environmental, not like taking care of the environment, but my environment, Mm -hmm. the people that I was around, it was starting, that world was starting to shift in such a way that it didn't fit within the confines of that, the fundamentalism or even evangelicalism. And no one was answering these questions. No one was able to give me a good reason why you should stay in an abusive relationship. No one was able to give me a good reason why um, the church didn't just like, did tell me what happened for 1,056 years before the great schism and then um you know we'll have to check our dates i think when it was luther 1600s or 17th century something like that so the great schism in 1056 and then for 1052 and then you have luther so you have this huge period of time the majority of christian history where they can't or won't explain what happened (laughs) (laughs) won't talk about it and so um I ended up at Taylor Fort Wayne um, to finish school. It was cheaper and easier to commute to there. So I moved to Fort Wayne and I was in Washington, D.C. for a summer Institute of Journalism program through the Coalition of Christian Colleges and Universities. And the professor that taught that was a gentleman named Terry Mattingly, who is a religious columnist for, at the time, for Scripps Howard and was a... Baylor grad and a former Southern Baptist. And uh, at that time, about a year old convert to the Eastern Orthodox Church. And he opened up, he was like, anybody that ever wants to go for a walk in the evenings, I take a walk every night at like seven o'clock. And so I would come down from my apartment and we'd go for walks. And sometimes other people would join us. And I was always asking questions about faith Mm -hmm. and at the time i I wasn't going to be catholic because i did not agree with there seemed to me to be some of the same spiritual gymnastics of um and and we can get into that in a little bit but um a lot of the same spiritual gymnastics that that broke down under pressure and scrutiny um, like the <clears throat> um, Immaculate Conception, things like that, that didn't fit with, like you took, again, you took it to its logical conclusion. There, it, there wasn't an answer there. And I didn't agree with the infallibility of the Pope. Um, it didn't, there was just a lot. So I wasn't going to be Catholic. And at the time, the American... The Episcopal Church in America was not something I was terribly interested in, but I figured that's probably where I would end up. And he just asked me very basically, you know, what do you know about Eastern Orthodoxy? And I I said, "I, I didn't really know anything. And so he shared with me some of it and. And I didn't do anything with it. I didn't act on it. I didn't I didn't think that I was thinking about it that much. It just kind of percolated in the back of my head. And I came back to Taylor Fort Wayne and I explored vineyard churches and house churches and mega churches and, you know, more liturgical, wanting to be liturgical churches. And I literally ran out of road around 2003, 2002, 2003. And um, kind of remembered that conversation and started picking up some books. And um, at the, back then, you know, it was pre-Amazon, pre Amazon, pre Google. So you had to really look. And St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Fort Wayne had a priest who was a convert. At the time, and he had donated about 15 books to the Allen County Public Library on Orthodoxy, um, becoming Orthodox, the Orthodox Way, Orthodox Church, um, some of the books that are very helpful in explaining the theology. And, and so I read those books and um, Wandered into a parish right before Christmas, I think it was two thousand three, and never left.
0: So what? what that was, was all it?
1: over the place. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you're fine. No, that's that's great. So what was it like when you finally? started reading all the books about the orthodox church and you found yourself in it like what was it about the orthodox church that finally like clicked or c- that you connected with that caused you to say okay this is this is where I'm supposed to be
1: um there was there's a line in the liturgy and I, I will never forget I walked into St. John Chrysostom's orthodox church it was a small little parish I stood next to an icon of St. Patrick and I stood next to that icon for like six months every Sunday. And the first Sunday I was there, the last line of the liturgy, for your good and full of love for all mankind. And there was nothing, nothing Anywhere in that service about how horrible I was, how condemned I was, how predestined for misery I was. There was nothing in there about God so loving the world that he needed his son to pay the cosmic visa bill for our sins there was nothing about any of that bullshit and i think for me hearing that line like it was it was it was literally it it literally felt like someone watering a plant on the hottest day of the hottest month, of the hottest year. And it, and, and, you know, I recognized within that line, within that prayer, because the whole service is a prayer, right? So from the opening, you know, blessed is our God, right? Like to that end, for your good and full of love for mankind, is one big conversation about salvation as healing, not a legal standing before God. And I think, you know, there's a thousand reasons why that occurred. When the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, split, the Romans took Augustine, who the Orthodox view as a saint, and and I I do not, I will defer to them on that. I think I Saint Augustine and I are going to have to have a talk because I think he was largely out to lunch. But um, Augustine was a lawyer, right? Right. right. So. You have this one guy that writes in Latin, and that's who they take, is the lawyer. And so the difference between the legal reading of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of, I think that's right. Is that Romans 3.23? See, I'm not a good Baptist anymore. I can't remember the Romans road. (laughs) I think Romans 3.23 is for all sin and short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? So either one of those verses, if you read them as a lawyer, Mm, they read as a legal document would read, you shall, like a person who does this shall be sentenced to X. If you choose not to read them as a lawyer, it's a statement of fact. And that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And so that understanding that the wages of sin is death, it doesn't mean that he wants us to die. It's a statement of fact. Because the world has fallen, period. Things went sideways. We die. People die. There's death. Right. And that that takes God from being the grim reaper or the executioner, you know, with his hand on the lever to drop the rope, right? Like the trap door to the doctor that that's the, like, it changed everything. And it's found in that last line for you are good and full of love for all mankind. And I, you know, and there's a thousand different reasons theologically that, um, you know that we can talk about, particularly Protestantism, is is inconsistent in its view of God in such a way that it's uh, dissociative, right? Like God, the God of Calvinism is not the God of um, the prosperity gospel. Is not also not the God of, um, you know, Armenian theology. Those are different gods. Right. God cannot both be one who predestines you to heaven or hell, and also be open to all. Right. And the fact that, that the American church, that the modern American church has distilled it down to the lowest like common denominator of a praise chorus. That's not like. That's not God. That's not. That's not the same person that's and so those kind of things were always you know kind of nagging and I, I, I joked with people you know because Taylor Fort Wayne the historic Christian belief was taught by someone who thought Calvin was a heretic so at upland at the same time the guy is teaching historic Christian belief as an ordained Calvinist reformed minister and then the dude teaching it 40 miles up the road is Wesleyan. <laughs> right right it's like and i asked him once i said you know dr west i'm rethinking my calvinism he said good you should calvin was a heretic you know and i was like like you people know right like, <laughs> <laughs> so i don't and it's interesting now like this whole conversation about like this deconstruction because i don't really view um i mean i guess i did But for me, it felt like I had nothing left. There wasn't anything to deconstruct. Right. Because I just, I literally just set it down and walked away. Like I'm done. And once I made that decision to set it down and walk away, I haven't had any, I haven't lost a minute's sleep about, um, about that. It's been nice.
0: Yeah. So. (laughs) So now, like, because you you grew up in this reformed background, you have family as part of this. So you are going to Orthodox Church. You you have converted to Orthodoxy. How did your friends and your family react when they watched this process happen?
1: <clears throat> well, um, the priest at the time of the church I was going, he he sus- like basically suspended my entire catechumen process. Um he's like, you've done a lot of reading, you're coming in. <laughs> and and I don't know that I would recommend that. Um, but in a in a way, it kind of enabled me to just rip the band-aid off and just do it. Because if i had to spend a lot of time discussing it with family, um, I might have waited and I shouldn't have. So I didn't really I shared with you know my mother and my grandmother and my sisters, who I mean, they had all hurt, we had all then kind of talking about the problems that we noticed Um, one of the things that i i wrote about very early on in my my journey was this i was trying to go to one new fort wayne evangelical church that was meeting in a school cafeteria and i ended up at another one by accident, by making the wrong, a wrong, a left turn instead of a right turn, I ended up at another Fort Wayne Evangelical Church meeting in a different school cafeteria. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, they're interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not like it. So, like, they're solving a problem, but they're like, they're literally just like, you literally just, I turned right when I turned left or whatever, I turned the wrong way and ended up probably the exact same distance from the corner. And, you know, it was just, there was just nothing there, right? Like there was just nothing for me there. And I know that there was a lot of people, I had a lot of friends in those places that loved them. And I, for me, it felt like eating a donut every day for breakfast and trying to make it through your day. Mm. on just the sugar high. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't. And it, it only got worse as I got into journalism. And as it, you know, I started covering horrible things and crime and, and, you know, it just. As I'm saying this, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if one of the reasons that American evangelicals do not find themselves represented in these places is not so much that they're not hired for these jobs. It's that that worldview is not compatible with actually living in the world and doing the things Mm. that need to be done in the world.
0: Yeah,
1: I've worked in newsrooms with lots of Catholics, lots of mainline Protestants, uh, lots of African-American protestants very few evangelicals they either left or they left the church Mm. and i think part of the reason is that it's just not and i think that's like this whole i think that's what's so great about the conversation around deconstruction it's not compatible anymore with life here yeah and there's a lot of reasons for that and a lot of ways that that manifests itself. Um, but it's just, does that make, I don't know if that makes any sense. No,
0: no, I, yeah, I think that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> so I I don't know if that answered your question.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. I when, kind of like, kind of leads into the next question. So now, like, what do you feel like your faith looks like now and how does that, How does it, um, how has it changed or grown now that you are part of the Orthodox church?
1: I don't think I answered this one part of your question. So you're going to have to, I'm going to make you rephrase that in a minute or if you want to, but my family was frightened of it at first. Okay. My mother and grandmother were frightened of it at first. Um, I did not allow them to come to my chrismation because I didn't want to worry about taking care of them emotionally while that, um, was going on because I would have needed to. So I gradually over time exposed them to it. They came and visited. Um, My younger sister, my middle sister has joined me in the Orthodox church. Her husband is Orthodox. Um, They were not when they got married. They are now my niece and nephew. were born into the Orthodox church. Mm. Um, My mother and grandmother, um, are in the process of converting now. So, okay. and my youngest sister and her husband are Anglican. <clears throat> so none, uh, no one. It's evangelical. Nope. Or or fundamentalist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So uh, the question you want me to rephrase? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like now, like looking at where you were and like where you are now like what what does your faith look like now how has it changed how has it grown now compared to where you were
1: um I feel my faith now you know I've been orthodox almost half my adult life if not half my adult life um yeah, about half my adult life. So um that it has provided for me it's it's a hospital. Mm. Um it's it has given me freedom to explore um, questions and and doubts and healing and, which is very much where I'm at right now, these these kind of those exploration of, of these things that made me who I am and being free to not just find you know, some way to say, "Oh, God has a plan for that," and just let it sit, right? Like, um, to recognize that that He is good and full of love for all mankind encompasses the shit too, and that isn't doesn't mean that He endorses it. And I think one of the things that is very dangerous about American evangelicalism is that idea that. And I think it's just because we don't have, they don't have access to all the resources, right? So they're trying to put a forest fire of pain out with a garden hose. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, on Sunday, Father Andrew was talking about, kind of touched on this, and he said something about the Bible was never intended to be a how-to manual for the Christian life. Mm. and I that's so true and because then there's a limit to it it literally doesn't address everything right and so that view of the scripture as part of tradition not tradition as part of scripture you know it just opens up an act like it's further up and further in right like it's kind of what Lewis was talking about there that this idea that there's it's just a very deep well. It's a very, very, very deep thing to drink from. And and so for me now, um, hold on a second. Can you hear that?
0: I mean, you're fine.
1: Okay. <laughs> Aaron's cleaning up the kitchen. Um, it's a very deep well, and I, I'm very grateful to have, to have found it. I know that if I hadn't, I probably wouldn't be here. I don't believe that for a variety of reasons. I don't, I don't think that I could have done it. I don't know what that means, but I I very much feel most days that orthodoxy is what has kept me alive. Um, and I think, and it hasn't always been easy. I, the first parish that I was in had a, had a, a very unfortunate split. Um, the priest was defrocked. The parish broke apart. I lost a lot of friends. Every people moved away. Um, there was a a movement from that to kind of start their own Orthodox church in a basement. And I was like, I, nope, I've done that before. I'm not, I'm I'm out. (laughs) Like, and so I, you know, I headed over to the Greek church for a couple of years and, and, um, you know, I, I, I guess in my mind I had kind of fought too hard to, to be orthodox and so um i wasn't willing to 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 go be protestant even if it was protestant in a, in a with a cross and a cassock <laughs> um so yeah i don't know if that makes sense but yeah. i it it feels like sturdy flooring right now for me even mm-hmm. when I don't feel sturdy, yeah, um, you know, and I don't, there's things and teachings of the church that I, I don't necessarily know that I agree with all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that God has always moved the church toward truth. Hmm. or move the people towards truth so you know what i'm saying so like yeah something will come and in it in orthodoxy that could be in 200 years i mean that's just you know
2: right there's a
1: joke how many orthodox christians does it take to change a light bulb and you know change about does this change Leo's <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <Vio's> candle <laughs> <laughs> um so I don't know if that makes sense. So my my husband's not orthodox, but we go every Sunday and and he's a part of parish and a part of parish life. And you know, the the calendar, the feasts, the fasts, these things offer a rhythm and a way to practice faith when my mind isn't able to to do it. Mm. Right. Like yeah. um, if I'm not feeling terribly faithful, but it's a Wednesday. And by instinct, I'm not eating meat now on Wednesdays because we don't. And so it's just, Oh, oh yeah, it's Wednesday. Why do I, I'm not, you know, and so you're instantly brought back to faith and it's not a matter of, um, it's not legalism. It's just something, it's just a way of practice. It's, you know, it's just something that brings you back to faith yeah even when your brain isn't thinking it yeah yeah and i'm very grateful for that very grateful for that
0: so say somebody's listening to this conversation and maybe they've grown up in the fundamental background maybe they're just going through deconstruction what are any words of like advice or encouragement that you would give somebody who's maybe in the process of this currently?
1: The last line of the liturgy, right? For he is good and full of love for all mankind. And one of the things that I found so incredibly freeing having grown up in the land of altar calls and Jack chick tracks was this idea that it's not up to me to save you.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's not up to you to save me, you know, and every single person is on a a journey and I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. You know, we don't know why we make the decisions that we make, why we have the reactions that we have, why things in the church trigger us the way that they do. And that is such a deeply personal thing. And I, So if someone is, is at that place where they feel that they can't be a part of the faith community, and that's not a small thing, like that's not, you know, you're, it, I think in some ways it might have been easier for me because I had been on this kind of progression away from fundamentalism for a long time and i was not accepted in there because i was an outspoken woman who wasn't married right like like i was just wrong and but for some people who have have had that be a place of safety and all of a sudden it feels like it's not or it feels like it's something that's untenable anymore it's absolutely valid to be afraid of that to be confused by that and to be even broken over that yeah because for those of us who grew up in these places where our every minute of every day was dictated by you know vacation Bible school and fear of the rapture and this belief that we were guilty for Adam and Eve's sin. And I don't know, I worried at five or six, if I was at that age of accountability, if I hadn't prayed the prayer enough, was I going to go to hell? Yeah. Yeah. We had a baptism a couple of weeks ago in church and I watched these two little babies be welcomed into the church. And I was like, they are not going to worry about that. Mm -hmm. They're not going to worry about that. My nephew baptized in the Orthodox church. He will never know the fear of the rapture. He will never know the fear of, did I pray the prayer enough? Did I mean it enough? What if I'm not on the list? Yep. And that is, that is terrifying. That is traumatic. And we are talking a lot right now about these things as traumatic, and it's okay to do so. It's not healthy. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Edwards' "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" is viewed as some piece of great American literature. I'm not sure that's where the wheels didn't come off the wagon. <laughs> you know, and I—I I know that's not exactly the answer to your question, but I, no. for me, I guess like be okay with throwing it out or not and just maybe looking at the edges and finding those places if you found a place where there's a snag pull it don't be afraid to pull it because you know it's it's kind of an ugly sweater go ahead <laughs> pick at it
0: <laughs> yep
1: yeah you know like And, you know, I, someone asked me once, you know, why are you orthodox? Which is kind of this conversation, but I think that it is the boat with the fewest holes in it, Hmm. you know, and yeah. period. I've not gotten as wet and frightened in that boat as I did in the other boat. Yeah. Um, but it's not an easy transfer. And I think for people who are leaving evangelicalism and if they find themselves holding on to their Christian faith, great. If they don't, great too. not because I think that you should like, because it's a journey right? Yeah. And I don't yeah. know where you're going to end up. But I think outside of there is actually safer than inside of there. Yeah. And, and I think we're in the middle of this big reactionary period. I was thinking about this today. I was listening to a, a podcast about some of these topics and I'm wondering how much of what we're seeing in deconstruction it is it's very reactionary and it's very it's very hard and it's very sharp and it's okay that it is because there's a lot of very hurt people. Yeah very scared people very traumatized people people who've been manipulated and lied to in a thousand different ways people who have been put at risk people who have been abused People who have been shut up and shut down for things that they have no control over. Yeah. And I'm very grateful every day that I'm not there anymore. And it's not like I'm not there anymore. It's, whoo. that was close.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's good. And yeah, and I, I like what you're saying about pulling the, the snag and the uh there's a um Brian Zahn is a pastor who kind of deconstructed uh as a pastor of a church and lost half of his church like twenty years ago. But um he but he talks about how like kind of like the same concept, like when when you're going through deconstruction or you know, whatever you want to call it. So it's like it's kind of like renovating a house. Like like the mm-hmm. kitchen the kitchen might be great. You don't have to do anything with the kitchen, but maybe you have to rip out the entire bathroom to the studs and redo the whole thing over again. And like, you just have to figure out exactly what needs to, you know, just need some paint and what needs to be completely gutted and redone completely from the, from the bottom up. Yeah.
1: And I, and I think, When I, when I did leave, you know, one of the things that I noticed, like that kind of those churches that are on the same road and in the same kind of place. In my mind, I was hopeful that that was something different. But you realize that they're all just, it's a difference between a McDonald's and a Burger King. Right. Do you want your burger flame broiled or fried? (laughs) Yeah. But it's still fries, a burger, and a Coke. Yep. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I hope more people find orthodoxy. I know that people that do will be frustrated because they're not going to change it. Right. And, you know, there's, we have noticed that, you know, you, we've had some of the, you know, parishes that have had problems, have had lots of converts from very from like a Calvinistic background that come in and they're really rigid in their orthodoxy and it doesn't like it it doesn't work you can't be an orthodox Protestant you have to let go of that completely and um the best way to do that I found for me was just hanging out with the little little grandmas (laughs) who've been orthodox for 80 years yeah you know, the, the the refugees from communism, you know, who remember baptizing their kids in the woods, you know, and who are here now, or the Palestinian Christians who are here now, who, you know, I had a friend who's, I said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, 33 AD. I'm from the tribe of Judah. I grew up in Bethlehem. I had nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like that's an understanding of Christianity that. Right. I should shut right up. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, like the ladies in our church that walked out of communism, Hmm. you know, as six, seven year olds with their parents their understanding of the Christian faith is not something that I can even begin to grasp the depth of. And it's like breathing for them. And that's so comfortable. Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, uh, kind of a change. No, you're fine. I just going to (laughs) just kind of, uh, wrapping everything up. Uh, so uh, I ask everybody the same question that comes on the podcast uh, because it's called The Brood Life. When you go out for a coffee with a friend or whatever, what is your drink of choice?
1: Um, a really dark roast, a good dark roast, only because I'm old. I used to love the, the medium roast uh, African roasts. African beans, but they're too acidic and they give me heartburn now. So <laughs> I have to stick with like Sumatran and Indonesian coffees, which I deeply regret because I really love Tanzanian peaberry and uh, yeah, Ethiopian coffees. One. Yeah. But. Mm.
0: I can still do the medium roast. That's usually what I drink, but. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts.
1: <laughs> I, it, like, I hit 45 and I was like, Oh man. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's going to be a sad day.
1: <laughs> it was. It, I, yeah, and I, I used, yeah. So, Sumatran. But, um, Old Crown. I'm old school. Old Crown Coffee and four Wayne. I still, Old Crown and Utopian are good. Um, yep. Those are good. You, you can't go wrong with Old Crown.
0: <laughs> nope, and they both roast their beans here in town, so. <laughs>
1: There's somewhere in somewhere northwest near like the Lima Road area. Okay. Um, somewhere in those industrial parks, there is a guy, somebody's, somebody has their roaster in there. And I don't know who it is, but I know it's there because I can smell it when I'm going to work. Sometimes if the wind is coming out like the yeah. southeast. And I can smell it sometimes on Sundays when Aaron and I like are at the mire or whatever. I
0: Interesting. It. I don't know. I know where I get my coffee from. Shout out to Mitch at Yellow Cup Coffee. Uh, he is uh, off of cold water, like behind in those buildings behind U Haul place there. Uh, so but I don't know. I that's kind of that's quite a bit farther away, but he roasts coffee fresh there on a regular basis i should try them It's good it's good coffee that's where i get I got a subscription once a month <laughs> free commercial for yellow cup coffee
1: <laughs> yellow cup coffee i'll have to try them
0: awesome well uh thanks for coming on and just being vulnerable and sharing your journey and i hope that it's helpful for those that are listening that are kind of going through the same thing
1: Thank you so much for having me. I hope that it was, that it made some sense.
0: <laughs> yes, it did, it did. Is there any... Hey everybody, thanks again for listening to The Brood Life. If you've enjoyed what you've been hearing and you think that this conversation would be beneficial to someone you know or help somebody understand maybe what you're going through, then please feel free to share this through social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, The Brood Life. And you can email it, you can text it, whatever works for you. And if you haven't already, please go out to your favorite podcast platform and uh, subscribe to the podcast and then rate and review. And that just helps us out. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week for another episode.